Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. I seek the wisdom that resonates with me right here, right now, in this time-space reality. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And today we are talking about the collapse of guru culture. Doo-doo. <laughs> right. Do you like our very expensive special effects? That <laughs> <laughs> oh, challenge. I like, I love editing up special effects. Well, Jane. I used to love doing that stuff. If with... you're bored at home on the afternoon. <laughs> oh, oh, look out, we might have special effects with love life. Oh, my God. <laughs> So we're talking about what is all right. Breathe out, laugh. Sorry, it's I've got all these crazy ideas going through my mind right now. We're gonna jazz up love life. (laughs) Tweet tweet. Oh look out! I'll be running ads on it soon. Okay, who wants to advertise on our show? There you go. Oh, we could take this to a whole new production level. Jane, let me do my intro. Okay. Right. So, (laughs) collapse of guru culture, or even the death of guru culture. First of all, what do we mean by guru? Well, I'll say what I mean and then Jane can say what she means. So when I think of a guru, um, well, I think two things. First of all, I think of the old version of a guru, which was like why the Beatles flew to India, the Maharishi. Like it's the whole, the Dalai Lama. It's the whole idea of some very, very, very learned, wise, spiritual, usually dude who's been through certain trials and tribulations and um, showed certain aptitude in spiritual you know, um, abilities. Usually they live on a mountaintop in a cave, in a monastery, and they're just amazing. And people will travel all over the world in pilgrimage to hear them speak and or to sit in their vibration. The second kind of guru that has arisen in Western celebrity culture is Oprah Winfrey, Louise Hay, and some of those types of... Wayne um, Dyer, yeah. Deepak Chopra. But then there's, there's the next level down, which is happening now as well, with this huge wellness, holistic bandwagon where we've just got, you know, Melissa from Sydney, 29, who's been a Pilates instructor for five years, has read a few books written by, I don't know, insert, you know, Louise Hay or something like that, and has taken a couple of courses and now blogs and has an amazing Instagram account full of smoothies and yoga positions. And you can follow her on six different social media platforms and have her, you know, directly to your inbox. And that's guru culture too, because we're following, you know, there's chicks on bloody Facebook who all they do is put pictures of their body and their raw food diets and have billions of hits and go viral. And they're kind of gurus too in the sense that if you don't know what the word sycophantic means, this is your your chance to pause and go and look it up. But we have basically a nation of sycophants. It's it's where we, we love to worship ideals, projections, beliefs. And a lot of it is projection. We're projecting, well, that person is perfect. That person has figured out. That person figured it all out. That person has it all. And we love the idea that it's possible and we use them as beacons of hope or lighthouses or role models. But should we? Should we always? No. Do we need to? No. Are we God? No. Yes. No. <laughs> Let's have an argument. Go. <laughs> I'm still thinking sound effects. Gee, I could have dropped a few in there. <laughs> oh. I love this topic because I feel that I have been guilty in the past of of having, you know, wonderful people that I've followed or I've learnt from or I've had as healers that I 
have made the big mistake of putting them on a pedestal. They didn't say they were a guru. They said they had a particular belief or modality or whatever um, research that they were sharing on a particular topic that at that time resonated with me so well that I needed to hear, that I needed to learn from and experience, that I then decided they were the bee's knees. And I then put them on a pedestal and guess what? They fell off that pedestal and I was shitty. I was really disappointed in them. And that's so not fair on them at all. But I did it. And so I feel it's an important thing to recognise that we get our wisdom, our learnings, our teachings, our healings from so many different ways these days, particularly with social media, which I love that we get to choose what blogs or videos or whatever we want to follow. Yet we kind of have some default, I have, and I'm assuming therefore if I do, others do as well, have this default thing, as Beck said, that if there's something that I've latched onto in their vibration that I have decided is exactly and perfect what I need to hear and implement in my life right now, I've then actually gone, and that equals they've got it all together. They've got all the answers. They're going to solve all my problems. And that's not right. That is making somebody God. Yeah. And I did that with my thought process. So it was a really cool thing when I had a healer actually say to me one day, I have a real problem because people put me on a pedestal and I can't live there. And I thought, wow. And I thought, well, I'm not putting you on a pedestal. Guess what? I did. And guess what? That person failed me. And I realised that it is something that we do and we need to stop and think. Each person, if they are a master of something, they are a master of a particular area. And that is it, full stop. You know, Oprah talks about her weight battles. She, she's got so much knowledge and wisdom to share around the subject of, of physical health because that's been her lifelong challenge and she's studied it and learnt it. But she's not the master of it because she hasn't managed to implement the right tool for her. You know, I can't talk about addiction. Why have we never done podcasts on addiction? Because I don't have anything to contribute to that yet. Mark my words, yet. There are only areas that we are good at and that's what we've got to be careful about if we ever think that we are somebody that has people following us, that we, are, we have a tribe, but we're blessed to have that privileged position and yet we have to be authentic in what it is we can share that we feel passionately and strongly is correct for our tribe and what we don't know jack shit about. It's good to be honest about what you don't know. Well, that actually ties in when we did a podcast about vulnerability and power and transparency transparency and all of that stuff. And perhaps that's part of the problem is that these blogs or whatever that we're talking about are not sharing the vulnerability. They're just sharing the perfect, perfect. In fact, there's been a lot on social media in the last week about criticising these blogs that are not showing real life because people are, are... considering that that person, this is their perfect life. Mm. And there's a call now. I've, I've had quite a few people in my news feed over the past week saying, you know, you need to be sharing the bad stuff as well. And I've sat in that a little bit thinking, do I? And I think, no, I don't really think I need to share. I think I can share the bad stuff when I've come through it and I've worked out what I can share as a result of that bad stuff. But I don't really want a news feed fed with people's 
toxic yeah. low level vibration no, there's a difference venting. there's a difference but there, there's also that thing where every now and then a celebrity will share something really harrowing that's happened to them or that they're going through and people it just strikes a chord people find it fascinating and they get on board and they want to know more because we again those are the people that we think have it all well, you've got so much money how could you even have feelings anymore if you've got everything you need isn't that happiness etc et et <laughs> that's another illusion yeah right <laughs> Um, I know that Jane and I have touched on this a long time ago in a podcast as well. The idea that as well, so you might come to a certain author or guru or whoever it is, exercise maven or whatever that person is. Sometimes it might even just be a series of YouTube videos that you can't stop watching or like somebody who's got a, a whole bunch of channels on YouTube and you, you, you're bashing through all 517 of them, bang, bang, bang. And then one day you wake up and you think, I'm done. And it's like, it's okay to move on from your teachers and your role models. You know, that whole thing about the student outgrows the teacher, which can be a very awkward and uncomfortable dynamic when it occurs in real life. Even just in business, you know, the, the young the young gun comes in and eventually will often move past the elder in experience or knowledge or technology or something and, and, and evolves on. And, and it, so it happens, it's supposed to happen, it's a natural thing to happen um, that the next generation comes up and they become that thing but it's also so it's okay for the healers or the gurus as well to also evolve over time where maybe in the 70s you know louise hay did this kind of work in aids hospices which she used to just go and just volunteer and do community stuff in groups with men who had aids and were gay and sick and stuff like that and then and then you you know then she published a pamphlet and that got passed around and she made photocopies of it and people got it and then later that became you can heal your life and then later she set up her own publishing firm and then later she set up like international congresses and tours and then now she's kind of a guru but there's different stages that people go through in their journeys as well in terms of what they're offering and how maybe the tribe that you had on your blog last year is actually no longer the tribe for you. And I can always tell this when I send out a newsletter and I get about 132 unsubscribes and I'll be like, wow, I've done a lot of changing because yes. those, those people that came in don't want me anymore. They've gone elsewhere. So I must be in a totally different vibration to when they signed up. That's really cool and fascinating. It is wonderful. I love when you touched on the fact of the student is meant to surpass the teacher. And I have somehow instinctively always known that. And I was very lucky to know that because going back to my dance days where I had my dance school, I expected my dancers to be far superior to me as a, that I ever was as a dancer. If they were, I'd done a good job. But I watched other people hang on to their students so tight they wouldn't let them go and fly and be free. And... I feel that is a real restriction that, no, you must stay under my banner. You must not deviate from what I have taught you. You can't go and take a, a funk hip-hop dance class at another studio. We don't do that in this studio. This studio is all about classical ballet, tap and jazz. You're not to do that. That's no-no. It's the ultimate it's, You're not being loyal to me as a guru. Insecurity and control. And, so totally. And fear vibration then comes So through. totally, yeah. yes. And we, I feel we saw a lot of that in the guru culture, particularly over the, over the last... Uh, 15 years where, you know, you had to stick to this method and you weren't allowed to expand on anything else. It was often the term, you know, contra, what was it, contraband. You know, you were moving outside of a given known. And what I love now so much is that it's so common for us to go to see a healer, teacher, wisdom, whatever person, and they will have 
a dozen different modalities under their belt and they're pulling out whichever one is right for that person. You know, this cross-pollination is so cool. I love it. But it that it, each person is individual in what they offer. The associations and the bodies and the boards absolutely hate it, though. You, if you're under any realm of anything, any medical type of practitioner work, they, they, they lose their Well, I've got shit. a lot of, of doctors <laughs> as clients, and many of them will say, but, you know, I actually am also psychic. And, or, actually, look, I really do have an ability to be able to body scan and be able to tell exactly where to go, where the problem is, but I can't tell anybody that. And you think, you know... You should be able to. That's an amazing gift. That's yeah. that's great. But then, you know, you go to the chiropractor and you think you're going to a chiropractor, but the chiropractor's doing NET and they're doing whatever else as well. And, Absolutely. Yeah. All know, sorts of different things. So I've had two experiences recently, which, um, and I tell this story with the utmost humbleness and just genuineness because it, it could come off as sounding like an ego story for me, but it, but... I've had two experiences recently where I've come in contact with high-level teachers or gurus and realised if I'm not as good as them, at least it's either that or I'm as good as they are or they're not all they're cracked up to be and what's so special about that platform anyway, you know. And so one of them, and this is a very literal kind of a, a guru example because this guy was a guru. This guy was a lama and he was an English he is an English. He was born in England. But I'm not going to go into the story here, but he has had a very, very long lifetime. Basically, he was brought into this lifetime through members of the Theosophical Society who planned his birth birthed, you know, under full moon rituals in Stonehenge. He came out. He was homeschooled. He was here to be a divine channel of light on the earth. He went through a series of different things through seven decades. And then in his later years, he ended up in Nepal and Tibet. He ended up with the Lamas. They put him through a series of tests. He proved them. He became a Lama. He worked with the Dalai Lama. He travelled Australia in the 80s and 90s with the Dalai Lama. He, he is a llama and I was, you could say, lucky enough, blessed enough to be able to go and experience him here in my hometown in a private meditation group. So I was like, oh my God, this is an opportunity that I should absolutely have because he is a llama and I get to meditate with him and see what he does and feel the energies of all of this and da 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 So pretty average meditation. Um you know, not that spectacular, very humble guy. It was fascinating to see. He definitely had the monk thing going on where they have no connection to material goods. I mean, he was, he'd been dressed by other people. He was just wearing like a, like a Russell athletics top and Everlast boxing gear. Cause they, they just grabbed whatever they could find and put it on this like nearly 80 year old man. He was very just sitting there with his sandals and he had some of his Tibetan jewelry on and it was just amazing. So his humbleness, when I actually first got there, I actually didn't know who he was because I just thought he was someone's grandpa or an older man who joined the group. He was that quiet because there was no ego there. He was just hidden in the room. Lovely. And then, when, and I just chose a seat next to him. And then when we started I was amazed that the person next to me was the person leading the meditation I was like oh my god he's the llama you know I actually didn't recognize him so to speak um but yeah we did the meditation like yeah you know whatever and then afterwards was when the the gloss got taken off the experience so we had the cups of you know chai tea because everyone's hippie and we stand around and we have the chat around the table and then I saw the side of him that I didn't like which was the human side and he talked about himself non, I repeat, non-stop. Wow. He didn't ask anyone's name. He didn't ask about anyone in the room. He just talked about his life. And then, then 
he decided to start talking about the future of the world in all negative apocalyptic type language. And I just excused myself and left because mm. I thought I don't need this. And he was there with two young boys, real young boys who'd come from a really strict Christian Catholic upbringing who've obviously run away from that and gone to what they perceive as the polar opposite, this guy who's all new age, enlightened, crazy out there. But they're doing exactly the same thing again. They're worshipping a guru. They're in a, in a cult-like relationship with this man. He's living in their house. They're looking after him. They're his students. They're sycophantic to him. And the whole thing for me was just too... It left a bad taste in my mouth. And I left, and I won't be going back to that group anymore. Maybe this is an example of, of somebody really not knowing what their real gift is to their current audience. Because you could have learnt so much and shared with us all so much about humbleness from a man like that but because he's moved into an assumption that everybody wants to hear stuff that he's so important that he's just so special because of his special old life or I don't know but it just annoyed me and then the other thing is that I recently was able to get access to an over four thousand dollar online course and I, I know that this sounds horrific, but I I didn't learn anything from that course. But I find that very validating. When that happens to me, if I hear a person speak or I watch, um, you know, a, a, a TED Talk or whatever, and I go, wow, I didn't learn anything, I find that incredibly validating if I can, if I'm agreeing with it and I'm following it all through, it's a beautiful validation of that particular topic that I'm solid in it. But this is another woman who's held up as a guru and writes for very famous but publications. Let's have a look at what is a guru. Now, a guru is something... What, what is a celebrity? Yeah. What is famous? What's your definition? It is a title that is given by other people. It's not a title you give to yourself. Other people have a perception of somebody who is famous. And I can remember talking to a bunch of girls that were oh, early 20s that were really hot dancers that I used to have danced back in the early 90s at NBL basketball games, which was huge here in Australia back then. It was big sold-out you know, stadiums, etc. And I can remember giving them a talk about how to sign an autograph. Don't give them your signature that you write on your checkbook because we used to have checkbooks back then because nobody will know what it is. You know, your idea, the idea of... Of somebody coming up and asking for your autograph is that you write, you know, hi Susie, happy dancing, love heart, and you write your name so it's legible. And it is, and they're looking at me going, why are you giving us autograph lessons? And I would give them a lesson about the psychology of there's a little girl that's standing there and she's looking at you going, wow, I do dancing and look at you, you're so pretty and you've got the most beautiful costume on and you get to go out here and do it in front of television cameras and that's so exciting and when I grow up, I want to be able to do that. And she's standing there looking at you and you're looking at her going, why is that kid staring at me? I'm not famous. Why is that kid staring at me? Well, that kid's staring at you because in her eyes, you're famous. And so what do you do? You don't want to go up. I'm not, she's holding a little pen and paper, but I'm not going to go up and say, oh, did you want my autograph? That sounds conceited. I'm not famous. No, you're not famous. But in that little girl's eyes, you are. So you go over and you bridge the gap and you say, hi, did you enjoy the game today? And she nods her head and says yes. And she holds her pen and paper out a little bit further. And then you go, oh, have you collecting things? Do you want me to see? Did you want some of the basketballers' autographs? No, can I have yours? Oh, you want mine? Sure. Now, these days it would be, have you got a phone? Let's do a selfie together. That's that psychology of, of somebody else gives the label of who is famous. And that's the most basic thing. And yet in a stadium of 8,000 people, there were probably 
a good 500 to 1,000 kids that absolutely loved those dancers and wanted to be them when they grow up. So some chick that's been doing dance classes for 15 years and she's good at it and she's really excited to go out and be a cheerleader to who she perceives as famous has actually got her own tribe that believes she's famous. That's gorgeous about how we have different people that we idolise and role model who won't necessarily be called famous by the mainstream, but they're, but they're amazing that's to, right. to us. And we don't know who that person is. We've yeah. got no idea. Yeah, that's awesome. None whatsoever. So I thought it was a beautiful story of that celebrity, that famous, that gurus is a title that is given by others. They choose to say you're famous. Mm. They choose to say you're a celebrity. They choose to say you're a guru. But and, you know, my answer is somebody says to me, who do you think you are, Jane? You sprout all this wisdom, but look at you. You're this, 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 this. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, you put yourself out there as a guru. I would say I have never once ever called myself a guru, ever. All I do is share some wisdom for people that have had the same situation that I've had that think that I can help them because I've been through it. That's all it is. It's nothing. It's, it's an imagination created by an individual person projecting it on another. Mm. And I think it's an old-fashioned ideal that is coming tumbling down now, hence the whole collapse of the guru culture sort of theme of today. And I spoke to the amazing Rebecca Brown in Sydney, who we will get on the show soon because she will blow your minds oh, out. Oh, she's amazing. Um, I'll get the sound effects for that. Yeah. <laughs> Just if you want to know more about her, she's at soultosoul.com.au. Um, and she was talking to me about this exact topic and, you know, she was saying... You know, just the, the fundamental basics. If you're a practitioner, if you're a healer of any description, if you're spiritual and a client comes to you, well, if you as the practitioner are straight away viewing that client as broken or needing fixing, you're already holding them back because everyone is whole and complete to start with. And this is why at the start of this show, I said to you, Jane, about um, God, God on the inside and you said no. Why? Playing God. Playing God. Yeah. What does that mean? As in believing that you, well, okay, right, I get it. Okay, we're going down that layer, down that rabbit hole. Okay, I get totally what you're saying. All right. So what I'm saying is why do, look, okay, let's back up, Rebecca, sound effect. It's okay to have role models because that's how we learn. That's how we get the tools for the next step to, to evolve. But... Do we really need to hand over so much of our personal power to these quote-unquote so-called gurus when really we are God inside of ourselves? You have everything you need right now in your body to heal, to evolve, to transform, to make a miracle, to be higher vibrational, to transcend, to like it's just there's no end to it. The possibility is mind-blowing. And you have all of that because because of the laws of the universe you know you're you're made of stardust you're you're part of the oneness of of all that is uh you're part of the hologram we're all just pieces of the same big thing while we're pieces of all the same big thing we are also however incredibly unique and so often if you find a a guru or a mentor I like to use the term mentor I've always had a mentor in my life my whole life and you outgrow mentors you know, you, you achieve what you need to achieve with one person and then you, you start to know it's time for another that you're wanting to move in a different direction and along they'll come, whether it's a, a, a physical person that you work with or someone you follow, etc. However, that particular idea that each person is going to give you the complete package that you need is flawed because you are so unique. So while we are same, same, different... 
we are able to take all of the wisdom that a given mentor or guru or teacher or healer shares with you, that you've got to check in with your own gut, with your own intuition, with your own self to know, you know what, 80% of that is perfect for me, I'm going for that. And this bit here, I've gone, no, that's not for me. So as Beck did at the talk where she you know, enjoyed what was happening up to a certain point and then she went, I'm not into this fear-based, negative, whatever, future predictions, I'm out of here. That's not what she needed, so you check out. But it doesn't mean that we don't get value from somebody that we have chosen to follow. If 80% of it is great and 20% of it doesn't resonate with you, it doesn't mean that that 20% doesn't resonate with somebody else. So you've got to kind of custom blend your own wisdom teachers. You've got to grab what you need from who you need when you need it for the right here, the right now in this time space reality and not be worrying about whether, oh no, I don't know whether I should believe this person now because I didn't agree with when they said that. You know, we once got an email from somebody saying, I'm not listening to you anymore, Jane, because I don't agree with you about what you said with horses. Did we? Yeah. No, it was like <laughs> horses. a couple of years ago. What did we say yeah, about horses? Yeah. I can't remember. Obviously, it affected somebody felt that it wasn't true. Hilarious. And I thought, no, that's cool. No worries. That's absolutely fine. But that's a lost opportunity if you've listened to 80 episodes and you hear the 81 first one and you think, well, I don't agree with that. I wouldn't expect any of our beautiful, educated, highly evolved, high vibrational um, listeners to be agreeing with everything you and I said back. That would be called naive. And that is where you get cults. And that is where it's dangerous, where you do start to place people in guru mentalities and you're setting yourself up to fail and you're setting them up to fail. So you've got to take responsibility for your own personal self-development and growth where you start to hand-select the bits of wisdom from the people that are sharing whatever they're sharing that resonates and fits with you in the right here and the right now. It's perfectly natural um, to begin to notice feelings of disillusionment with someone. could even just be a girlfriend. Maybe you've been friends since playgroup, you know, since you were three and now you're 33 and you've been noticing lately that she's always been someone you looked up to almost like an older sister. You've always admired her life. She did stuff first. She had certain qualities that you aspired to, you know, those people. And then they can start to show a side of themselves over the years or more lately that you actually kind of makes you go, oh, wow, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm experiencing that with somebody at the moment and I'm really struggling with it because I'm looking at my shadow side. What is this teaching me about myself? Isn't it fascinating? So it's perfectly natural for friendships, relationships, and that might not just mean, again, with the people around us in our real lives, but the the relationship you have with your guru, with the person that you've worshipped since you were a kid, with that author that you've always loved. Do you know, in such a smaller extent, I was sitting in the movie theatre the other night and they were, I I was there so early that they still hadn't even put the cinema advertising on yet. So I was the first person (laughs) in there and it was so early that they were just playing the music before they even put the screen on. And a song came on from 1993 or, yeah, 1993, when I was in the throes of, like, I was 14, such a teenager. And it was a song that I used to love with the kind of fervent love that only One Direction fans will understand. It it obviously wasn't One Direction, (laughs) but it was the 1994 equivalent of One Direction. Definitely not going to say who they are because my teenage girl would never forgive me. She's already already getting nervous that I'm talking about I'm going to give you Chinese burns and get it out of here. (laughs) Anyway, and this is the kind of song that when you're a teenage girl... Boys. No, no. 
Wait, that you listen to when you're falling asleep and that you hold to your heart and you run down to the shop to get the first burn of print of the CD when it comes out and you, you know, put the posters all over your walls. We're talking about that. I mean, there was no judgment. The 14-year-old did not judge this band, did not judge their music, did not judge anything about them. They were just divine heaven on a plate. And your future husband was definitely one of those Yeah, and I was going to marry him and I wrote yeah. myself a letter to open when I was older to say, don't forget, you've got if you've forgotten, you've got to go back and find him and marry him because he's the most <laughs> important person and you've got to name your son his name and all of this, right? So I'm in the movie theatre. I'm 36 years old. I'm spending some time, you know, waiting for this film to start and the song comes on. And my adult self went, oh, God. My adult self went, oh, what a lame song. And my adult self went, oh, does he have to scream like that? Oh, that just sounds like teenagers in a in a garage just, like, trying to get attention. Oh, wow, so and, you've moved on a lot. And my adult self was like, that's actually a really poorly performed, poorly put-together piece of music, and I can't believe I used to think that that was the be-all and end-all of music. Oh, we see, mine was David Bowie, and he still holds up for me. Well, he was always going to be my first your husband. Your example doesn't belong in this conversation there, but do you know what my point is here? Is no, I had taste. Isn't it beautiful when we have the goalposts in life that we really realize we've outgrown a relationship or a bond or a fervent love affair we're having with someone or something and it's totally fine to give yourself permission to grow out of it let it go stop doing it stop listening to it stop giving energy to it it's a natural death and a celebration of how far you've come and of course the quicker that you can let go of the dead wood in your life and the things that are no longer working the the faster we allow the new to enter I seek the wisdom that resonates with me right here, right now, in this time-space reality. If you seek more wisdom, you can go to our Facebook page. Which is lovelife.com, oh, sorry, facebook.com forward slash lovelifeshow. And we put our episode up every Wednesday there, so you can always stay abreast of the latest information. And until this time next week, have fun being your own God and exploring your own belief systems, believing in them and backing them. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening, and it's a beautiful day.